session of Rising Stars of Turf. We're taking a little bit of a different tack this time, recognizing three individuals who are currently working in sports turf, uh, but yet share a common lineage in the golf course business. Uh, we have Ryan Moy, Peter Braun, and Mitch Ronning, who are the crew at Alliance Stadium in St. Paul, Minnesota, home of the uh, Minnesota United Football Club. Let's just get a little overview of uh, your backgrounds. Uh, Mitch? Yeah, uh, originally I'm from Alexandria, Minnesota, which is about two hours northwest of the Twin Cities here. Been a sports fanatic my whole life, so I figured at some point in time I would end up in the sports world for a job. Just didn't know how I was going to get there, so... Grew up playing golf my entire childhood, and again, I was trying to figure out, okay, how can I find the best deal to play golf, and I had a buddy of mine whose dad ran the, the grounds for the local golf course and said, hey, if you want to play some golf, come work for me in the summer, so, um, I mean, I don't know, I might be popular amongst others, but I decided to work on a golf course so I could play golf for free, <laughs> um, and then as I went through, I discovered I had a passion for everything that goes on behind the scenes of the golf course, and so, um, Started at uh, UMD up in Duluth, going just for business, really didn't know what I wanted to do. And then once I figured out I knew I wanted to work in the golf course or in the turf side, ended up transferring to North Dakota State up in Fargo. And um, yeah, met some good guys up there, had some great professors, learned a lot. And um, it turned into um, doing an internship actually on the East Coast at uh, Eastward Ho Country Club out in Chatham, Massachusetts. Um, first time I had really been away from home for a long period of time. First time I had worked at a, a golf course that uh, really went above and beyond in their detail work and stuff. So it was a great learning experience. Um, came back to school the next fall and already started looking for my next internship and um, actually worked for a guy named Brady Klein. He was one of the assistants at Eastward Ho and originally he's from Detroit Lakes, which isn't too far from me. And um, kind of chat with him and Tyler McMurtry is another assistant, just kind of looking at options and decided I want to stay a little closer to home this time. And so I reached out to Hazeltine, to Ryan and Chris. And um, yeah, luckily they were willing to accept me in as an intern. So um, worked the 2015 season there and Peter in this call as well was a fellow intern of mine as well. And um, just grew to really love the place. And then um, end of the summer, uh, it was decided whether it was us putting the pressure on them or if they decided otherwise that wanted to bring the, the same intern class in for the next season leading up to the Ryder Cup. Um, and so ended up uh, deciding to, to make the return trip to Hazeltine again the next summer. And so, again, it was basically jumping right back into it after the spring semester concluded. So got right back into it, did a lot of the – helped with a lot of the prep work for the Ryder Cup, and then obviously – Everyone saw the tournament when it was an absolute hit, eventually had graduated. And so it was time to look for a, a full-time job. And so my now wife uh, was a med school student through Creighton University in Omaha. So followed her down to Omaha and got a, a job as an assistant at Omaha Country Club underneath Eric McPherson there. At the time I was dating my now wife. And so I followed her down to Phoenix, worked at a, a course down there through Grand Canyon University. Um, Again, different different way of doing things down there, obviously. And got, I, now that I look back, it was beneficial to kind of dip my toes in the warm season grass, kind of really 
the biggest thing I was able to take away from that was the overseeding process and how intricate it can be and, and, and what kind of results you can when you do go the extra mile in the, in the prep process. So little birdie told me that Ryan was uh, getting the job here and um, went through an interview with him and ended up coming, coming back closer to home in St. Paul here. And I jumped right into it in spring of 2019, shortly before the stadium actually opened. And then we're now three and a half years into this. I've, I've learned a ton and um, happy that I made the decision. Peter, I'm aware of you somewhat because you were a uh, uh, one of our TurfNet sponsored interns over in Ireland. Of all the guys that we've had through that program over the years, I think you took the most advantage of it in terms of a uh, variety of experiences and things like that. Give okay. us a little bit of your, uh, your background. I was a 2014 TurfNet intern in Ireland, which was a great experience, um, but I grew up in New York. Went to turf school at SUNY Coles, School in Ohio State. I decided to go for turf because I was a sports guy growing up and I liked being in the outdoors and I grew up dairy farming and didn't see that for me. So I decided to look into this turf thing and just ended up being a great experience that I've, you know, made into a career. Um, but I got into the golf course world. Uh, my professor told me that golf, if you knew golf, you can do anything because it's the most variety of grasses and heights and management styles so just after going to and finishing up at Ohio State I was trying to figure out what to do next and just through talking with Mike O'Keefe and then getting in touch with you know TurfNet and John Kiger I was like this could be a great experience to go to Ireland and take a year off of after school go to Ireland and then I decided to pair it up with New Zealand afterwards so just getting those different cultural experiences that you know, get, get tough as you get later in life, you know, you get married and, you know, just get tied down with your job and you can't take, you just feel like you can get away. So kind of having that extra year was, was very beneficial for me to see just how different people can manage golf courses and just the different cultures in general. And, but I always like to say that when you're on a golf course, you can be anywhere in the world. That's a nice part about it. It's very similar. What what, uh, what club were you? Did you work at in Ireland? I don't. I don't recall. Uh, Mount Juliet with Kate okay. O'Hara. So, yeah. yeah. Yep, it was a great experience there. Got to see the Irish culture, which John obviously loves. So, it was good to immerse myself in that. And then, when I was there, I was trying to figure out what to do next as well. Always trying to stay one step ahead, and. John recommended me to look into Hazeltine, just reach out to Chris because he was a TurfNet member and pretty active and they were going to host the Ryder Cup in a few years. And he, you know, so I touched base with Chris and eventually settled on a position as an intern and with the expectation that I'd be there for the two seasons leading up to the Ryder Cup. That was where I met Mitch and Ryan and it was just a great experience overall. And Chris then helped me because I was, was graduated. He helped me secure a position in L.A. at L.A. Country Club for the winter months between 2015 and 2016, which was another great experience, just getting to see a, a massive course that was going through a renovation on the south course, and the north course was the phenomenal course it still is. And so again, though, that construction side was an introduction to it, and kind of a prelude to doing a renovation later on at Minicata when I was an assistant there but yeah and after a great Ryder Cup which was awesome and fun and just a very much a world-class event and then 
after that, just with a local connection through Chris and Jeff Johnson, there was an assistance position open at Minicata. So I moved over there, was there for almost three years while we did a, uh, a renovation of the course. And it's, we hosted the senior am. And so we, we got to regress the whole course, redo a few greens, um, which was awesome to move to a new, new grass variety. But at the, that was in 2018 to 2019. So at the end of 2018, Ryan got the position out at Allianz. And over the course of the next year, I was helping out game days and whenever they needed help, Mitch and Ryan. Um, and when a position came open, cause they were thinking of creating a, a third field, their training grounds field up in Blaine where they train out of, I jumped on board. I was, had a great experience in the golf world, but I kind of got into the turf industry for sports and I'd never done it, never tried it out. So this is, I thought a great experience to and a great time to try that out. And yeah, three years later, we're finally up, finally built that field up in Blaine took a long time, but we got it done and had a, had a great time. So it's been a wonderful, wonderful start to the sports turf. So I stand corrected. It's Allianz field. Yeah. Yeah. It is Allianz. Yeah. So Ryan, um, after the Ryder cup that arguably, I hate the term raise the bar and all this kind of stuff, but there's no doubt that that event set the, set a new standard for on a lot of different levels from, uh, you know, golf course presentation, but certainly within our business, um, the, uh, volunteer hospitality was you know was just blown out the blown out the roof but the big question after that as i remember was where's ryan gonna go so give us a little a little capsule you had been at uh hazeltine for quite a while correct prior to the uh rider cup yep i i started at hazeltine in 2007 um i left there uh, fall of 2018, I joined uh, Minnesota United. This was uh, before the stadium was finished. Um, I spent some time in uh, corporate headquarters, um, not too far away from the stadium. How, how did that rise to the top in terms of opportunities um, compared to anything in golf? Or didn't you really pursue other positions it in golf? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question. Um, and there, there's, you know, there's so much um, that happened between that period of my life. And, and now there, there's one gentleman that worked on our staff. Um, his name is uh, Blair Hawkins. He's been in the industry forever. He's been at Hazeltine forever. And uh, he, he told me throughout my career, this goes back to 2009, as we were preparing for the PJ championship uh, that summer was, or there are some places um, that you can you can only leave once um, with respect to marketability, you know, and using your your current employer as a springboard uh, to advance your career. And I, that always uh, resonated with me. I remembered it, it throughout my um, entire uh, time at at Hazeltine. But then, obviously, you have a you know a very very strong leader uh, such as Chris um, that has certain influences and is, has, you know, the conversations that we've had over the years, um, you know, I call him a friend first, um, before I call him a, 
a work colleague, but you know, you, you merge the two and we traveled to Europe together. And I think it was really about finding, um, you know, the, the best fit and not, and not settling. Um, I don't mean to disparage anyone who's, uh, you know, did, you know, prioritizing, advancing their career. But for me specifically, um, it was, it was a wait um, and see mentality, uh, knowing that my next move from Hazeltine was, was going to be very strategic. And I needed to know that that next employer, whether it was golf or whether it was sports turf, um, that they could facilitate my, you know, uh, personal ambitions and um, my uh, career objectives. What was your family situation at the time? I was, um, I was in a relationship with my current fiance. Um, as a side note, um, Pete, Pete just got married uh, last year. Uh, Mitch just got married last weekend. Um, I'm going to be getting married here in September. It's contagious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was living very, very close to Hazeltine, which I still am. Um, and uh, initially it was... Um, I would say, you know, you go through the process, you know, first of all, you have to go through the process of figuring out, you know, where's the next opportunity. And then when I was really starting to seriously consider um, Allianz Field as my home base, it was, um, it, it, it really wasn't, you know, it wasn't a hard, it, there was no mental block with respect to going from golf to sports turf. Um, it was really just geographic. I was, I, you know, I had had the luxury of hopping in my cart um, you know, driving across the street and I was at, at work, um, at Hazeltine and now I have, you know, probably on average a 40 minute commute, um, which, which actually is beneficial. I, I, I can touch on that if we get into it, but it's been actually beneficial to have, a this sort of ramp up and uh, decompression time, um, with respect to work. Sure. I've always thought that a short commute is beneficial. My commute for the last 30 years has been 15 feet down the hall. So <laughs> that doesn't really, uh, doesn't really allow for much wrap up or cool off time. You know, you're, you're in it and you're out of it. Definitely. Now you were, so you were at Hazeltine when Chris was hired, correct? Correct. Yep. And you were not on the short list or you were not considered or they wanted a bigger name or personality or what was the, what was the story there? Yeah. I, the answer is by default going to be a speculative answer. I, I do think that as, so from my perspective would have, I like the opportunity to interview. Um, I think I would have liked the opportunity to interview Sure. Um, but in the moment and looking back upon it, you know, I think, I don't think it was the appropriate time for me to take, um, to take the reins there, um, at Hazeltine. I think I needed someone like Chris to, to work with, um, guide me, um, allow me to grow, um, and nurture, nurture my own career path before I, I made, made the big move. You know, I think from the club's perspective, it was a scenario that, um, really not abnormal, but, you know, they, I, they, they wanted to formalize a search process that made sure that, um, interrupt you for one second. UPS guy is here. My dog's going crazy when he shows up. I knew this was going to happen sooner or later. Peter, it's okay. I'm sure there's some editing on your, your end um, that goes along. Probably not much, but yeah. 
all three of these dogs are rescues. And the youngest one that we have is a golden retriever who was a, uh, a puppy mill mother uh, that we got out of uh, Kentucky. So she spent the first three years of her life in a cage. Oh, and yeah. uh, she got here and didn't really know how to bark. She has, uh, she has corrected that. Now, <laughs> when somebody like this shows up, She'll blow the windows out of the house. I mean, it's ridiculous. <laughs> All right. Everybody settle down now. Are you done? Huh? So you were saying that you thought that you needed to work under somebody like Chris for a while before taking that next step. Yeah. And of course, I didn't, I didn't know, um, you know, what was in store with respect to uh, working with Chris and and what precipitated out of that relationship and and that path. But if I'm looking back, hindsight 2020, if I'm looking back on my younger self, um, I think that was a, cr a crucial period in my time um, that uh, that allowed me to grow and mature as an individual, um, as a leader, and and also to um, hone my my skill set as a as a turfgrass manager, um, quite frankly. And so no better person to, uh, to go through that process than um, Mr. Chudabah. But arrogantly, you know, you think, you know, if you had the opportunity, you'd like to think that um, you would have been able to execute and deliver had the opportunity come up. But, um, you know, I think from the club's perspective, Pete, I you, you mentioned it earlier, you know, th there's always that formal aspect to, it's not a rebranding per se, but they, I think they, we're really looking for some some new blood, some outside influence to bring to the team as a value add. Um, and man, they they hit a home run with Chris. So um, everything works out for a reason. I, I truly do believe that. Well, that was a very astute uh, observation on your part. I think in terms of uh, you know the introspection, where a lot of people would just say, "Hey, you know, I'm." I'm here, I'm ready, let's go. Whereas, uh, you know, looking at it in the big picture or looking at the big picture at the moment, but also more importantly, looking back in, it's uh, very astute. I think that you were able to identify within yourself that some more time was needed. So sports turf, this came up. How's it been, Ryan? <laughs> Um, it, it's been great. I, I, I laugh because there, you know, there's been, there's been some things that have happened, um, you know, outside of our control that has, I think, I think Mitch would put it as a great learning experience. Some of these things that have happened along the way with, you know, building out a new stadium, all the components and that, that go into, um, creating something that, um, is operational at the end of it has, uh, has resulted in some very, very um, strong, uh, steep learning curves for us. And, um, you know, one thing I would say, first and foremost, is, is managing, managing a natural surface inside four walls and a, and a roof is, is frankly very difficult. The, the impetus for that, uh, with respect to stadiums in general, um, and the evolution of it, you know, is, is this fan experience thing and this, this focus on fan experience. So, you know, if you go back historically, just briefly here is, you know, you have wider, wide open stadiums, not saying that that's a cakewalk either. Um, but you certainly have mother nature helping you 
um, you have a, a, a more helping hand from Mother Nature in those scenarios. But as you focus on fan experience, the walls get tighter, you know, the walls get higher, and then, you know, the roof lines get tighter for that, um, uh, for that, that fan experience aspect. And so, so then the, the roof extends over the seats. Yep. But yep. that creates shade, obviously. Yeah, that creates shade. And, and like I said, we can, we, at, at some point in time, I feel an, uh, an obligation to actually, you know, talk about this in more in depth. You know, we used to have those two day seminars that, you know, people would pay attention to attentively. And um, I mean, I, I, that's what I, I see in talking about this stuff because it's incredibly interesting. But uh, so you have, you have that aspect of, of trying to trying to grow grass in a unique environment um, you you have shade issues in our case you know we had um, we had this bathtub scenario our our outlet to the to the drain tile was blocked um, by a subcontractor um, they did not remove uh, the blockage um, before they handed the stadium over to us you know and so you, you go through this it's like Okay, you get this. You get this new field. Um, as surf managers, you're going. You're you're just ready to. You know, very excited to get your your tools out of your toolbox and and have at it, um, which we did. Um, very excited about um, you know gra grass grown on plastic technology. You know, it's highly engineered root zone. We have field heat. It's like you have all these bells and whistles, and you're just you're like a kid in a candy store, you know, waiting to unwrap this thing. And the drain and is blocked. And then, you know, the drain is blocked. And, and I think, I think it begs the question. I think this is important to address is, you know, as turf managers, wouldn't you, cause we went till July until we actually figured out what was our issue. Cause we were having these stability issues all, all along, but you think, okay, new pitch, it needs time to root. It's good. You know, once we get to the actual growing season up here in Minnesota, we're going to start to see some progress, but, you know, I think we saw a little bit of progress, but then it, it, it um, the bottom just kind of, um, fell out of it uh, for lack of a better term but um now did you so, actually grow it in i i came on board um right as they were backfilling in the 10 inch profile um mitch was was shortly thereafter um yeah and i i mean i was on one of the sod um uh, we call them donkeys but uh the the sod installers that roll out the big rolls i was actually operating one of those um at the time so that's where this, our starting point was with respect to the learning curve. And, and then, um, and then we went through a lot of 2019. Um, and it does beg the question of, you know, how could, could you see any early signs of this? You know, really, no, I mean, you have, I think we did the calculation, Pete might know, we did the calculation one time and it was like, let's just a million and a half gallon bathtub, uh, just for example. So, you, you know, first you have to fill up, you know, those, those drain lines. Um, we have, we have 24 inch pipe, um, in a, in a square underneath the, the field. And then we have all these laterals on uh, 10 or 12 foot centers. Um, so you have to fill all those up. Then you have to fill up the pore spaces in the pea gravel. Then you have to fill up all the pore spaces in the 10 inch profile, et cetera, et cetera. That takes a while, but you know, that those, those pore spaces become very anaerobic, um, a lot quicker than, um, you could ever find, uh, the water. Um, and in fact, while we we're going through some of those months, um, as we're taking our, our moisture meters, as the bathtub is filling up, right, um, we're actually drying out on the surface. You know, we actually were able to achieve some localized dry spot, and we were very happy about that. So there was, there was no um, red flag as far as, I mean, who's going to think that, you know, you have this um, 
275 to 300 million dollar stadium you know and who's to think oh you know we're gonna have a um a pitch that's not draining appropriately the i think what's more important is that we rectified it um there's a massive amount of water when we took that uh that plywood off that um that exit hole um how'd you find how'd you find the blockage um well there was a uh there's a small little cell that um at Pete or Mitch, what was that, July 17th? July 16th when we got that rain. That's when we noticed there was something wrong. Yeah, there was this small cell that I think it dropped uh, like two tents, um, two tents. And it we had some standing water in, in one end of our pitch. And that that was just, that was enough for me to go, okay. I mean, I think within five minutes, we were at the outlet, pulled the manhole cover that um, is, you know, you once you pull it, you're, if there's no water in there, you're looking at a, a 14 foot deep vault. Um, and the water was plumb up to that manhole cover. So immediately called in um, some subcontractors, some generals and said, Hey, we, we do have a drainage issue here. And then uh, um, as they dropped the camera down, um, we saw that there was um, basically a, a 24 by 24 square um, a piece of plywood that was covering the outlet. So we meet, we meet, the great thing about that is we immediately knew what our, our issue was. Um, I think the question became then is, can we salvage uh, the surface? Um, we thought that we perhaps might. Um, they gave us about you know, four, four to seven weeks to figure that out. Um, and it became very evident that we weren't going to be able to uh, rectify the, 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 or salvage the pitch. So um, we, uh, we uh, coraled that pitch out came in, um, installed um, some thick cut sod, um, played a, uh, a college football match on it. And then um, was it 24 to 48 hours later, we had our first uh, MLS playoff match on it. So all that to say, um, you know, I, I think I was talking about uh, some things that really expedited, expedited our um, learning process. Um, that was definitely one of them. Peter, how have you enjoyed it? It's been great. Big thing I always took away from the golf course world, I was in like the early mornings where it's just, you know, beautiful out and you're up before the, the sun and then you can see the sunrise and, you know, you can put your stamp of approval on the end of the day of what you did. Then you move to an even smaller area and it's just even better. You can just focus even more and just, you know, try to make that field shine. And then knowing that you're going to get to see it on match day, 17 to 30 times a year is just awesome. It's kind of like having a golfer's tournament every two weeks. You're leading up to it, you're prepping for it, and then bam, it's here. Now it's over. So now, yes, you get it back and try to fix it in the next couple of weeks or, you know, even three days. But it's just been a great experience and it's very similar to golf, but it's also so totally different. How about you, Mitch? How's your experience there been? Yeah, I could pretty much echo both of what they're saying, but it's, you know, it's, it's good. It's a, it's definitely a change of pace from the golf course world. Obviously, like Pete said, it's, I'm not, I'll be the first to admit, I'm not the biggest morning person, but once I'm up, I'm fine. And it's one of those things where <laughs> getting up early isn't the most fun thing. But again, when you're, when you're going around the golf course and you're seeing the sunrise and doing your work, it's just, it's a lot of fun that way. And I mean, Overall, it's been a good experience. And like Ryan had just alluded to, there's been a lot of 
steep learning curve, a lot of experiences that we've gone through, which at the time we wondered why, like, why are we having to go through this? But now you sit here today, it's like, I'm, it's, <laughs> I can't say I'm glad we went through it, but it's a good thing that we went through it because I mean, well, that's, can, back, that's baptism by fire. Right. Yeah. No, you, you can sit in a class and they can tell you how much, as much as you want. Yeah. You know, drainage is good. Sunshine is good, but those, these are two pretty big examples of learning or uh, learning by hand and not from a book is yeah these things you truly do need the drainage and you do the sunlight does make a difference and again like Ryan said you can have all the tools in the toolbox that you need but especially in a climate like ours if it's it's 30 degrees you're not really going to make a lot of progress in anything when it's that cold so the uh, the weather is the ultimate deciding factor on how much progress you can make and how quickly you can do it so um, it's it's been a good change of pace overall I'll say it's been a very good learning experience well adversity you know, is uh, one of the best teachers. What schedule do you work? You say you, you don't necessarily get up early morning. So what's your daily, weekly schedule like? Honestly, I, I will honestly say we don't really have a set schedule. We obviously know that all of our work is geared towards what day and what time is our next match. And knowing that as far as on field stuff, okay, we know this is our match day. So it's almost working backwards. Okay, we know what time we need to be done by. How do we get there? And so we really take pride in being able to um, sustain a, a work life balance. I mean, if I could give you time, it's probably right around that seven to eight time. But then it's, you know, again, work life balance. If you've got something going on in the afternoon, if you've got an appointment to do, whatever the case may be, we all kind of take the same mindset as if one of us is gone, the other two can fill in and you don't miss a beat. So if one of us has something going on, feel free to take off whenever. But I would say we, we keep a pretty consistent schedule as far as hours, but as far as time, it really depends. And I think the one thing we, I could speak for all of us, what we really appreciate is, is you work that, you work that match and maybe you don't get out of here till 1130, maybe midnight, some nights, maybe the next morning you're not getting in at seven or eight. Maybe you're, you're taking that extra hour to kind of recover from the big day previous. So, um, yeah, the work-life balance thing, obviously, if you guys have seen any of the uh, video work that we've done with the assistant thing on the golf side lately, the work-life balance thing is a, is a big uh, challenge. And that was on my list to ask you guys about. Mm -hmm. uh, was that Ryan, was that attractive? Was, was there was the, I guess, the flexibility of uh, sports turf attractive to you? I think I was too naive to even sort of conceptualize that as I was deciding to take the job. Our season from, from managing a surface standpoint is, is uh, a lot longer than being a golf course superintendent here, um, uh, here in, uh, in Minnesota, at least in the Twin Cities. So um, I, I just, I couldn't because of the fact that it's heated and all of that. Yep. Yep. I mean, we had this year, we had a match on February 2nd, remarkable to, um, to say the least with respect to what mother nature dealt us dealt uh, hand that she dealt us. But um, it, you know, this year we might, um, you know, go deep in the playoffs. We might not be done till November or late October. Mm -hmm. um, so that's an interesting component too, but the, the work-life balance is also, I think it, it really uh, comes down to what you decide to create for your, your culture at work, whether you're on in, in the golf course or, um, in sports turf. Um, it's also, um, how you, how, how you build 
your team and how you evolve as a team, you know, even between us, you know, you know, if there, if there, if let's just say if there is an issue with uh, work-life balance, you know, when we, when we talk, there's three individuals. Um, so the, the, it becomes a much um, less involved uh, task to try to, to mitigate whatever issue might be coming up. But um, we, we've evolved as a group, you know, we, us, us three used to go, we used to always think, you know, we need to be there for every single match regardless. Um, but we very quickly realized that, no, we need to change something here. So, you know, we've implemented, you know, a, a rotational piece to it. Um, but yeah, no different um, than what you would be in any other industry or in this case, uh, the golf course side. Compared to golf, how's the bullshit factor? <laughs> well, I was wondering if this was going to, how you know, how many what how many different audience this uh recording um or this chat today was going to reach so um i have to be careful but the the bullshit factor that's interesting um i think that's more of like you know we are taking the perspective of the audience um in this case that we are comrades you know in in this uh in this journey in our career paths and trying to figure out if there is greener grass on the other side um I don't, I don't think that there's greener grass on the other side. And I know no pun intended, if I even had to say that. And I guess when I make, when I say bullshit, I'm, I'm talking more politics and, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. I, I knew, I knew what you were talking about. Yeah. Pete. Um, it, it, there's, there, there's no more, no less. Um, I, I am a firm believer that there's always some of that um, in every job in every industry um, I know it seems like a very simple question, um, but but I have to I have to go back to my tried and true response to that, and that's just really, you know, what lens are you looking through? Um, you know, I yeah, of course we 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 encounter some of that, but um, I think we we just have we we have a, a great mindset with respect to um, taking the that that stuff in and not letting it drive our day-to-day, um, not letting those things drive our decisions. Because at the, at the core of it, um, from an operational standpoint, you know, we're pretty isolated. You know, we have sort of this corporate business and we're, we're, we're turf grass guys, we're, we're grass growers. Um, so there's, there is no one else that can necessarily come in and, um, you know, speak to what we do. And, and I, think, I think we all enjoy that, um, being able to, uh, you know, sort of have a little bit more control of our destiny. Your, de- your department's pretty autonomous then. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it truly is. What do you guys use equ- equipment-wise for mowing and that type of thing? Uh, Toro. <laughs> yeah, um, big, big surprise there, right? But, <laughs> but walk, walk greens mowers, like 26-inch walk greens mowers, I would assume. We use triplexes, fiveplexes. We've, we've got a combination um, – we actually lean on the Toro Pro Stripes quite a bit. That's been really a great tool for us. Um, obviously, That's the rotary mower, the hand rotary with a roller. Yep, correct, correct. And it's it's got the inches. Yep, we have it's, the brush kit on front as well. Yep, um, that's been great for us. Obviously, with the stri- with the striping ability, with the brush and the roller, it's been able to really implement the pattern really well, but then also the, the suction power on those and the 30 inches we use is from Toro as well, just to clean up all the debris after matches and whatnot. It's been huge. 
Um, we also utilize a th Toro 3100, uh, and that's been, again, great if you're just trying to go out and get a mow done. It's efficient. And then, you know, you kind of just look around the room here. You've got your MH400 and, um, I mean, all kinds of things. You could really get picky. The 648, we've got a uh, SR72. I mean, pretty much everything that you think you would need is what we use. So mostly Toro. Um, Kubota tractors. Um, we have a Celsco roller, which Ryan got a hot deal on a couple of years ago that we've used. We've actually used the trailer probably more than the roller itself because we've been utilizing some bigger fans and the fans fit that trailer pretty well. So, but again, that goes into the stadium setting. Again, you don't have the air movement in part of the stadium. So you use the fans as much as possible to get some air movement in there. There are some, there are some unique things with respect to managing the pitch um, in you know, there's, there's different kinds of surfaces um, in the MLS. There's synthetic uh, surfaces, which take um, uh, obviously unique machinery to manage. Um, there are all natural surfaces, um, which Mitch covered um, with respect to equipment. And then there's um, a hybrid surface, um, which is either synthetic fiber stitched in or a carpet system that's rolled out, uh, backfilled with uh, sand and seed. Um, that create a um, natural and synthetic surface. Um, and in those scenarios, you're probably leaning more heavily on some big box mowers that are really, um, really popular um, across the pond over in Europe right. and other parts of the world. Um, and then those, those particular mowers have uh, what they call cassettes that you can um, interchange um, between spring tines, um, spikers, uh, cutting units, um, brushes. Um, and I think there, there might be a few more that I'm missing, but, uh, those are really, really, uh, mainstream, um, in European football. Peter, you think you're going to, uh, stay in sports turf or migrate back to golf in the future? I can't say Who knows, either way right? for sure, but sports certainly seems to be the way that I'm leaning right now. It's a nicer environment as I see it. Cause in golf, I always like to say it's, it's a hurry up and get things done. You have golf in two hours or an hour and a half. You got to get ahead, stay ahead. And then once they come your days much, you're basically shot. You're, you're just trying to maintain, manage where you can fit in the whole, you know, get in a hole here or there in sports. It's more of a come in, not being relaxed, but you can get your work done throughout the day even at the training grounds, they're only here for a couple hours. So while you can't do any work right away, you know, when they're playing on the field, you can do other stuff around the field or, you know, on the other parts of the, the area, but you then have the rest of the day after that to do your work. So, you know, you kind of have this relaxing environment just to maintain grass. So Mitch, does the, uh, the lifestyle afforded by sports turf outweigh the, uh, the lack of free golf? <laughs> that's been a little harder to come by yeah that's <laughs> but um overall I would I would certainly say I I've enjoyed both and as of now I can probably confidently say I'll be probably staying the sports turf side um, my wife is in the medical field so once she gets her first full-time gig I'll uh, probably return to the golf course and mow rough for 20 hours a week so <laughs> no I uh being being a part of the sports side, like I said, uh, an almost added perk to the job is you essentially get a front row seat. 
not only to the match, but to see your field, your, your, your product displayed, not only for yourselves and the 19 and a half thousand in the stadium, but also for all the people watching on TV. So that's a pretty cool perk. And that's kind of what created the passion for me to do what I like to do is be able to do something and see the instant, the instant impact or the instant results. And so to see the positive feedback and just on how well it looks, all that stuff. And when it plays well, how well it plays. I mean, that it's a nice added perk to the job. It, it, it's a nice satisfying feeling to knowing that not only are you proud of your work, but knowing that people come to, to the stadium and see the, that green grass, regardless of what month of the year it is and know that it's, it just puts people in a good mood. They get to see a, a field upkept. Okay, real quick, lightning round. What's the highlight of your career so far? Mitch? I would say, obviously, 2016 Ryder Cup, but then also when that, Matt, that first home opener in 2019 kicked off, knowing what we had gone through and just seeing, again, all the happy faces, that was, that was pretty cool. Peter? Uh, outside of the, the Ryder Cup and going overseas, for sure, it's just been getting to see the the matches and see the teams play out there. And one, one match that stands out for sure was 2021 when we played Seattle and we just had the field looking awesome and it was a day game. So that was definitely a highlight to see our work showing off that day on ESPN. Nice. Ryan, highlight. You know, I, I think I could easily repeat what they just said. I mean, those are all, those are all very much highlights um, of my career. Um, I think, you know, I think, honestly, being able to continue to practice my craft at, at the highest level, you know, Pete and Pete, myself, Mitch, we've, we've had that conversation, you know, about, you know, what, what this transition means to us and what it's going to mean uh, for us in the future. Um, It's just that it's that simple. It's uh, we know we're passionate about it um, and we want to be practicing our craft at the highest level personally, I, I don't, I don't care if it's golf. I don't care if it's sports turf. You know, if I go back to golf, that that's great. If I stay in sports turf, as long as I'm able to practice my craft at the highest level and have a, a competent, intelligent leadership team where I have a seat at the table, which I do here, um, I'm, you know, I'm more than satisfied. Um, it is a, a really, really great organization to work for. Um, and, uh, you know, the, we're, we're proud. We're proud to, to be part of Minnesota United. Well, it's obvious to me, looking in from the outside, that you guys are friends, uh, that you're um, uh, good colleagues, and that you've created a, a, uh, a good culture there in terms of a management team, which I'm sure filters down to uh, the staff below you. So congratulations for that. Um, We applaud you, obviously, as rising stars of turf, for which everybody gets a hat (laughs) and everybody gets a tumbler, courtesy of our sponsors, Earthworks and Dryjack. So we're going to send you a box of swag that uh, has some other stuff in there, too. And um, thanks for your participation in this. Uh, Good luck for the rest of your season. And um, we'll slam the lid on this right now. Thanks, guys. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you.